Welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast, where we help nonprofits reimagine generosity and put the joy back in fundraising. Hear from leading nonprofit fundraisers and marketers as they reveal strategies for strengthening donor relationships to propel your nonprofit forward. Hey, everybody. Today we have Justin Narducci on the podcast. Justin's the CEO of LifeWater. LifeWater's reached 2.5 million people with clean, life-saving water. Justin's married to his high school sweetheart. He's the father of three, and his family lives in San Luis Obispo, California. Uh, hey, Justin, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Hey, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, let's just jump right into it here. You uh, ended up at, at LifeWater um, a couple of years ago now, I think. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you ended up at LifeWater, what got you interested in clean water, uh, and what you've been up to there. Sure. So actually, um, I'm from Gilbert, so I'm from your neck of the woods, which That's is, right. Um, That's right. you know, where all great water professionals come from. I'm sure you've seen that. <laughs> Absolutely. Happen. Over time, yeah. Um, so uh, long story short, I studied economic development at Thunderbird and um, really wanted to get into working with our world's poorest economies and um, actually felt like a conviction to do that. And uh, as I studied more and more of those things, uh, I saw that there were a lot of products that were being provided to families that were economically disadvantaged that were to treat preventative diseases, things that don't necessarily have to be causing them to be sick. And so I became really interested in sort of grassroots public health movements that uh, address these primary health concerns and did it in a cost-effective way. And so once you, start once you start moving the pieces of that onion off, you begin to see that water, sanitation, hygiene, these really basic things are sort of at the root of that. So that's how I originally got interested in um, community health, public health, and then um, there's a long story of how I ended up at LifeWater, but that's the general background of how I, how I got interested in this type of topic. You know what? The thing, sorry, Gabe, I'm just going to keep going. Is that all right? Yeah, it's great. Think, the thing that's interesting about water is like water is just one part of the, the disease pathway. And so when you sort of address the root issue of clean water, or clean water in a village, if the community doesn't use that water safely or they don't store it safely or they don't sort of wash their hands or treat their feces properly, the, the, the benefit of the, the clean or safe water is really mitigated significantly. So what we've tried to do is build a whole ecosystem of health related to water and sanitation hygiene um, in, the, in the sort of broader spectrum of our uh, peers, we would call it a WASH program, which is water access, sanitation, hygiene. And that's, that's what we do is sort of address waterborne disease broadly while improving access to safe water. That's great. So, yeah, I, I love that. It's, it's, uh, it's always fun to hear the sort of the narrow focus of an organization that's it a really yeah. clean, clear message, but then being able to back that into more um, holistic, long-term sort of real results, which is, which is good. Um, so Can I say of, something about that too? Yeah, yeah absolutely. One of the things, I know I shouldn't be interrupting the host, but one of the things that I think nonprofits uh, really struggle with is being focused and being excellent at what they're focused in. Mm. And I know it's hard because, you know, people like us want to address a multitude of issues in all the communities where we serve. There's a lot of issues, right? Whether yeah. it's um, early childhood education for kids or girls or economic 
empowerment. And it's sort of hard to go, okay, we're going to do this one thing. We're going to do it really well and create a specialization in it and sort of say no to everything else. Right. Um, I think it's kind of the hedgehog concept that Colin talks about, Colin talks about in business books, but um, it, there's, there's a very, uh, there's a very strong pull toward doing more things. And I think what we've really tried to do is just be focused and realize like we can't do it all. But the things we can do, we can do extraordinarily well because we are. Yeah, oh, I love that. And, and I love the, the Jim Collins kind of hedgehog concept. Uh, and glad you brought that up. One of the most interesting things I think about you is you, you were a Thunderbird guy and a Boeing guy. And you went from uh-huh. there to the nonprofit space, which is uh, it's an interesting path compared to uh, a lot of folks. So um yeah, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the things that you brought from the business world, from um, just the, the excellence that you see at a Boeing or a Thunderbird, some of those principles that you've been able to leverage at LifeWater. So, uh, great question. The, the thing that's interesting about um, the business world is that we look for very clear measurables, right? So, at Boeing, we were talking, I worked at the facility in Mesa. And it was really simple. Like we have this very complicated product, which is a helicopter and a very complicated way of producing with a lot of engineers. And yet you, you would go to these meetings and there would be color coded charts that showed whether we were on time, off schedule, off budget. And it was basically like red, yellow, green, right? Yeah. So you have this like highly complicated environment engineering environment. And we're literally looking at stoplight charts, right? <laughs> and um, I think that ability to distill the complicated into simple is really important for That's a leader, great. whether it's nonprofit or an organization like yours, right? Where you're trying to produce a product that people want. And so, um, you know, what we tried to do was sort of take the ethos of uh, clarity and transparency, not so much in like the obfuscation of truth, but in like the actual having a metric and performing to the metric and yep. simplifying it so that it was uh, easy to tell if we were on, on target or off target. So um, we, we do a lot of metric management here, but ultimately we look at a lot of different assets of the organization and we simply try to color code whether we are off target, on target, or um, exceeding target, right? So things like um, in our world, we look at obviously water projects completed, but we're also looking at earlier indicators of those things. The, the pieces that lead up to the completion of a project where the community has to participate. And are we off plan or on plan or behind? And then we discuss why we do that. And the cool thing about that is we've distilled that all the way down to the field level. So our field staff who are in, you know, Bush Africa, look at these charts with us every quarter. And we sort of have a discussion just like you would at a Boeing of why are we off plan? Why are we we on plan what what could we be doing better and so this continuous improvement or continuous dialogue using data and metrics from you know basically Timbuktu um, distilled together at headquarters is the same exact principle we did at Boeing um, but we're doing it with water sanitation projects and you know that kind of stuff so I think um, you know there's a lot of discussion around managing the metrics and, and things like that but ultimately if you have a propensity for data and ana- analyzing data, you can do it even with, you know, uh, staff that are 8,000 miles away and simplify it in such a way that it's meaningful for everybody. We can learn from it. We can course correct when necessary. And we don't have to, um, you know, wait three years for a project to end to go, oh, wow, we really messed, 
missed the boat on you know XYZ. So I think uh, for us, we've incorporated real-time data information and management rhythms to look at that data and to simplify it to sort of red, yellow, green coloring and to incorporate our, our field teams in that, uh, in that analysis and, and observing what's going on in real life to really determine if we're on course or, or off course. So uh, we basically stole a lot of the Boeing meeting <laughs> rhythms and, um, and dashboards and incorporated that into our own unique sort of ethos with, with field staff who have never seen anything like this, right? Yeah. I mean, this is like a yeah. whole new planet and they love it. They love yeah. the discussion. They love, we, we first go, is this, is this, does this really what's happening in your community or is this data wrong? You know, that's like the first question. And then sort of after it's like, oh no, that's really what's happening. That's great. Okay. So what could be better? What, what are we doing really well and how do we sort of, continuously improve and learn from that. Um, so it's, it's um, at the end of the day, I think it's about bringing clarity to the, the, the service you're providing and then using the data to analyze that and continue to have conversations about it. That's brilliant. And I love that. We, uh, one of the things we find so often is that nonprofits don't face the same sort of market pressure that a Boeing or a for-profit company does as a result. Yeah. Um, they they have the tendency to sort of meander and before too long they can't even tell you what finish line they're running to much less their progress to that finish line right and so they can't even tell you what the goal or metric is much less if they're achieving it and so yep. i love that the the transparency and the simplicity of just a sort of what what is the goal you know and sort of a red yellow green like let's all look at that together objectively um is, is so needed um, at a lot of organizations. Um, so well, I, I think one of the reasons, sorry, Gabe, no, I, go ahead. Off, but I think one of the reasons we, we are actually in a pretty competitive space, you know, mm -hmm. um, for us specifically, I think there's about 600 water type organizations in the United mm -hmm. States uh, alone, not including Australia or, or Europe. And then um, only about half of those would be sort of faith-based or Christian like us. So yeah. we're competing just every day with 300 people um, that, that in some form or another do a similar portion of what we do. So um, in a sense, it's healthy. Like it's healthy and it's good to have competition like that. And I think when you get, uh, you know, pigeonholed into a specific sector, there is more pressure than, you know, it would That's be great. if you were just doing some local rescue mission and you were the only one providing that service, right? No, so great. I know, you know, the World Vision guys and the Compassion guys, they have a lot of pressure because they're all trying to do child sponsorship, right? Yeah. So they are competing and that's not a bad thing, right? Yeah. I think it makes us all better. Um, and uh, as long as we're not, you know, jerks to each other about it. That's right. No, that's great. Um. Okay, so uh, I know a lot of this stuff, like even the thinking around business and Boeing has been new to LifeWater. Part of the deal is when you join LifeWater, um, I don't know how to put it another way, but it's a bit of a, a turnaround. It, it, was a, it was an older organization who was maybe floundering a little bit. So I'd love to hear you talk about sort of um, what uh, the organization was like when you got there and then the, the things that have changed since you've been there for uh, good and bad, honestly, but kind of walk me through what that's been like. The last five years of my life. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I, I came into this opportunity with eyes wide open and uh, life water had been around 35 years. 
So very well-known, well-regarded organization. And just like companies, organizations go through life cycles. And sometimes you hit it and sometimes you miss it, right? And, yeah. some, and when you miss it, when you miss it, it can mean you go out of business just like any company can go out yep. of business, right? And so LifeWater had sort of gone through, it was an early adopter of many uh, principles that we do now. And then sort of in the you know, mid to late 2000s, um, I think just chose a, a different path and probably missed it. Yep. And so, you know, I wasn't here. I don't know what those decisions were. None of that stuff really matters. But uh, basically, if you fast forward to 2012, we were in a position where we had the unique opportunity to sort of um, re-identify our path forward. And they wanted to bring someone in with some new vision and some new energy and some new ideas. And so uh, at that point, we had sort of phased out of a lot of our programs. We were sort of in waiting mode. And so I was like, okay, so we're going to come into this eyes wide open and know that we're basically sort of reinventing the, the machine here. And so uh, we did. We, when I came in, we had, um, there were about 26 staff a year before me. And when I came in, there were about six. Wow. And um, we had gone from revenue of like two and a half million to, I think we were just about like 1.3. So about half wow. uh, of the base was gone. And I think probably even worse, people thought we were out of business. So, <laughs> you know, it was sort of like whatever communication had happened, it was sort of like things aren't good. And then you don't hear from us for a while. So you sort of assume that things are really not good, you know. <laughs> and so um, I knew the first 100 days were really important, right? So you sort of talk about the first 100 days of a presidency or the first 100 days of a new CEO coming. That's kind of classic management theory. Like you set the course, you set the vision set the strategy. And honestly, I came in in the first hundred days and I was like, Oh my, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, like, cause we did all of our programs had ended. We sort of didn't really have a strong theory of change. Like we, we were really, uh, sinking. So one of the things that we did that I think was really beneficial, um, two things. The first one was, um, I went and visited all of the, the major funders who had been, um, invested in LifeWater over some time. And basically sort of reacquainted myself. I knew a lot of them, but a lot of them I didn't. And sort of reacquainted myself and said, we're going we're gonna to be doing a rebuilding. And it's probably going to be messy for a couple of years. So I'd love for you to support that mess as we create that and give us a little bit of runway as we sort of re-identify the path forward. And what is our unique value proposition? Like what is the unique thing we can contribute to the space so we're not just recreating another water organization that you know, is out there making noise? And, but, I, but we knew it was going to take time, right? It wasn't like that was going to happen overnight and we needed to really assess what we had going and what we needed to, to stop doing, what we needed to restart. And then um, the second thing we did was we brought in some new talent. And so uh, we worked really hard to secure some capacity grants, which is basically yep. like VC for nonprofits. Yep. And, um, and we started rebuilding our programs team first. And we brought in this great lady, her name's Pam, and we really, Pam as a PhD in water resources has been in Africa for a while. And we just said, okay, hold on, let's, let's look at what we're doing and let's look at what we think should be done in the sector and let's like create what we call our theory of change. Theory of change is basically how do you believe change happens? And once you identify that, then you build a program structure that supports that theory, right? So a lot of times we, in nonprofit world, we do a lot of activities. So we're out building toilets, we're out building water, 
but we don't necessarily get to the root of like, how do we believe communities change? Like, how do we believe that change happens among very poor people in Africa or Asia because they're different, right? Yeah. And uh, so we sort of started at the theory part and then we built out our program structures to support that theory. Um, we call it our vision of a healthy village. If you go to our website, it's like animated and you sort of see how the different <laughs> actors play in the village. Um, but that took us like two years to build out and then we rolled it out. So, and when we rolled it out, we sort of field tested it the first time, just like you would if you were bootstrapping a product, right? You sort of yeah. roll it out, like do a soft launch, field test it, modify it. And now we're building the scale, building it at scale in year five. So it took us five years to really get to a place where we feel like we have something that's scalable, uh, which for me, I was like totally impatient about. I wanted mm. it to move faster. Yep. But I think we built it the right way and we were able to find the right people who believed enough in what we were building to fund it during the, the scary time, yep. um, which is a challenge in and of itself because we easily could have run out of money. Yep. And you and I wouldn't be having this conversation today. Right? <laughs> so I think securing, securing some funding for you to do the research and to build something that really does matter is pretty important. And it, in many ways, it's a lot like a startup. Right. Yeah. You have to you have to have VC, you have to have cash yeah. to get the right talent at the table to bring the vision to life, yeah. to test it, to modify it, to relaunch, to scale. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a very common uh, business cycle. And in nonprofits, oftentimes we don't have the benefit of getting that cash to to do that. So I think um, going after those resources and really those few funders at the beginning who really believed in the vision of what we were trying to build here probably, you know, by God's grace allowed us to still be here and That's great. doing what we're doing five years later at a, yeah. at a much higher level. That's great. So, I, I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, um, so it sounds like some incredibly transparent conversations with major donors to recast the vision and to sort of invite uh, folks into the mess, as you said, which which I love, and then some capacity building grants. Um, I'd love for you yeah. to talk a little bit about uh, over the last five years, as you guys have kind of righted the ship, what else has changed in your your fundraising strategy, sort of advancement and marketing? Um, how has that shifted? Uh, you know, the way we see the world here is that, you know, a lot has changed in the last 15 years and just fundraising in general. And so you guys are trying to get a, a ship turned. Um, at the same time, entering a brave new world of fundraising in general. So I, I'd love to hear yeah. a little bit about the the other unique things you guys are doing in that space. So um, I'll give you all of our secrets here, Gabe. The, <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, well, I think there's some trends, like you like you talk about, right? There's some there's some major trends that are happening, and uh, all we're trying to do is figure out how that trend applies to what we're doing here. So. Mm. I think one of the major trends that we see out there is what I would call farm to table, right? So you sort like you live in, in a uh, utopian neighborhood, right? Where you guys grow your own food. Yes, I and do. Hunt and gather. That's and, right. Um, and there's a, there's a, there's a rightful demand for that type of activity. Where's my food coming from? Like, where's, what are the ingredients in my, you know, like I think there's some transparency in our consumer behavior Yep. that, um, is a major trend that also uh, affects fundraising, right? So Absolutely. for example, I think we used to be uh, maybe 15 years ago, let's just say 10 to 15 years ago, it used to be like, trust the institution. So trust life water. We'll do what's best with your money. So 
support our campaign, support us in what we're doing. And I think now we take a backseat to the, the, the project. Mm. So it, I would say like, okay, look, we have this project in Ayantu's village. Help Ayantu and his village complete this water project. And life water itself is probably in the background. And that's more of like values alignment, trust building. Like, is this organization trustworthy? But that's more of a secondary question to the primary, which is, does this project align with something that I care about? And I, I understand the story or plight of that person. So yep. I think that would be like farm to table trend. And I don't yep. see that going away. I think Kiva has really yes. helped push that forward, which is, hey, here's the person you're helping fund, right? Yep. And the institution of Kiva is sort of behind the scenes, even though they do incredible work, right? They're sort of behind the scenes playing second fiddle to that, that lady who's got a shop. And the lady that has got the shop, you get the update from the lady that's got the shop. Kiva's making all that happen in the background, which is an incredible amount of work. Uh, child sponsorship is the same thing, right? Child sponsorship is funding incredible uh, community development projects. You don't know about the community development projects that's, that's happening right. for that kid. But you connect with the kid, your family prays for that kid. You yeah. guys write letters to that kid. That, that kid is who you connect with and the world vision or compassion is more of a values alignment, right? Yeah. So like, do they, do they have the same values that we have? So I think um, we're in an era where the institution is not trustworthy anymore, whether it's sort of government, nonprofit, even the company, people are interested in the product yes. uh, from a consumption side or the project from a, from a nonprofit side. And so I think the challenge is how do you, uh, how do you balance that tension with, uh, without creating destructive activities and communities that ultimately harm people. So, you know, some of that can get pretty out of control yeah. and you can end up doing things that really harm the very people you're trying to help um, by turning them into projects and, and stuff like that. So there's a, there's a tension that has to be managed there, but I know that insatiable desire for people to choose is not going away yeah. and for them to connect with um, the, the person they're actually helping is not going away either. So, yeah. Um, how you organize your activities as a nonprofit to create those buckets of things that people can participate in yeah. is a significant challenge for yeah. for everyone. Uh, I man, I I love that, and and uh, I think it creates value in in a couple of different areas. One is that um, just uh, we're in a world where you're right; people don't trust institutions, and so getting the institution out of the way and connecting the donor directly to the, the thing that's actually happening and the value um, is just necessary in the world where we live in. But I also think that that ultimately creates this really nice level of accountability with the nonprofit yeah. itself where it's not, the impact isn't obfuscated in a way where yeah, I just throwing money down a bucket. I don't know what's happening, you know, and it's yeah. that, that level of transparency I think is really healthy all around. Um, so uh, that's, that's great. It's, I love it's that. It's hard work. Yeah, it's hard work and uh, uh, a plug for your software, but it requires a lot of software. Yeah, right. Because it, in our world, if you think about where we serve, so yeah. just like if you just look at LifeWater, and we're talking about rural, uh, remote villages, right? To connect someone to someone in a rural, remote village with any level of regularity or, or uh, value, right? Yep. It, it, we already have a field-based system. And that field-based system that uses GPS coordinates, we have a hard time just getting those guys internet so that that information <laughs> can come to headquarters, right? Yeah. And then 
Um, honestly, my next meeting is how we're going to get the internet to east, uh, southeastern Ethiopia. So awesome. we're using satellite and working, you know. So you have to get that information, right, into headquarters. And then you have to create that information and connect it with a CRM yep. that actually connects to the donor and gives the donor the, the information that they would like to have. Yep. And I don't think it's too much for them to ask for that. But how do you sort of manage that information? Sometimes I feel like I'm a CTO, right? Because yep. I'm like, how do we get this field data to connect to right. CRM data and to really think about systems yep. uh, in ways that can scale when you're getting this information from, it's not like it's down the street. Yeah. It's not like I go take a picture of my iPhone and get that guy's you know, profile. Yeah. So there's some pretty significant levels of complexity to the data management stuff. Uh, yeah. Which is why having great CRM is like a non-starter for me. I think it's it's sort of like the uh, the table stakes of nonprofit world. If you don't have a great CRM, I don't know how you're going to build a tribe of people that want to help you do it. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with you there. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling you might. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the... One of the things that I've told the story before of a story my dad always tells is my dad and mom working in a um, orphanage and school in, in Tanzania and they're driving out in the middle of nowhere and like literally, you know, 15 miles from anything they driving along this road. There's a Maasai warrior standing there with a spear in one hand, no joke, and an Android phone in the other hand. And so um, it was just indicative of the world we live in is I think this is really the first time in history where we really have the, the ability to start measuring this impact in real time. Now it's the wild west, yeah. right? I mean, nobody's quite figured it out yet, but, but the infrastructure almost exists now where we can start actually really measuring impact in real time in meaningful ways. And so it's, it's an exciting time to live. Oh, I totally agree. And I think, you know, what, what's been brilliant in the majority world or the developing world or whatever you want to call it is uh, they just skip the landline thing. Like yep. we're just going straight to cellular, we're going straight to wireless. Yep. That's right. So we don't, we're not going to deal with uh, cords. Yeah. We're just going to have cell phone infrastructure. And so, uh, you know, I think low bandwidth things on cell phone infrastructure have come tremendously far. It's the higher bandwidth stuff that we're struggling with in rural areas yep. um, where you need data to move movement up and down. But we use a platform called um, Akvo, A-K-V-O. Uh -huh. And it is, uh, it's, it's Android-based. Sorry, cool. Apple people, but Android-based. <laughs> and it allows us to work offline. So we can capture forms and data from the field offline. And then when we get to a place that has decent service on top of a hill somewhere, that's great. Know, we can upload it and it still captures that. So there's, there's some design thinking that really incorporates the unique needs of, of rural practitioners, um, even though they, they don't always have the bandwidth to, to send it right away. You know? Yeah, agreed. Okay, so hey, let's, let's finish things out now in the last couple of minutes here. I'm going to get massively practical about a, a few different things. And so more of kind of a, a quick fire, but... Um, uh, I'm going to start with one thing that I uh, that I know you're doing there internally, um, and then sort of go through a few different uh, personal things as well. So the the first thing is uh, your 15-5 reports, um, yeah, as a way to sort of manage staff. Tell me a little bit about how you guys are leveraging that internally, because I think it'll be really practical for a lot of our listeners. Yeah, so um, I actually got this idea from War Warby Parker. Yep, a retail company. So um, they uh, they do this 15-5 report, and uh, I guess it's a thing now, but basically it should take staff 15 minutes at the end of the Friday 
to identify what they've accomplished that week and what they're planning to accomplish next week and any help that they need to do those things. So um, bullet points, 15 minutes, and then it should take their supervisor no more than five minutes to read. So we do these throughout our organization, um, all the way down to the field guys. They prepare a 15-5 report. I read them every week and comment if necessary, but it basically sort of keeps us all accountable to each other on making sure we're prioritizing the right things for the future weeks mm -hmm. and that we got the things done that we were going to try to get done the week before. So um, we do, we just do them on word. And um, for those that I have one-on-one -on -one meetings with, we, we follow up with them on Monday on the one-on-one -on -one meeting. Um, but I also really think it, it's helpful for staff to pause at the end of the week to make sure that they're focused on accomplishments and not activities. Yep. and to make sure that they're prioritizing the next week before they forget everything uh, when they go out on the weekend. So yeah. uh, we've instituted, we instituted this about three years ago, and it's been really good for us. It's very cross-cultural. People are like, what are we doing? But, um, you know, for some of the things we do as a, as a nonprofit are very nonprofit-ish, right? So this is one of those things where we're like, what? Weekly accountability? I don't know. So uh, we've gotten everybody to sort of get on board with it, and it's like, oh, 55, everybody, everybody does it. New, new habits and it's good it's a good practice oh no. yeah highly encourage other people to do it no i love that we uh we do um agile software development here so we use um sprints uh which are the same mm -hmm. thing we we create accountability by having everybody have very discrete deliverables um and then sort of reporting on those deliverables on a very regular basis and so it creates the same sort of cadence that you're talking about uh but we actually do that across all of our teams so customer success sales and marketing, all of our teams are using um, sort of agile based practices. And it's just, it's so helpful and clarifying. There's no, like everybody knows what they're working on, what order they're working on and how they're progressing against those things, which is, it's great. I don't know. I don't know if there's a better way to manage, to be honest with you. Well, it makes um, sense because I think our world is sort of agile development world. Yeah. Like it's fast moving and we have to deliver products quickly. That's right. Um, uh, so talk to me a little bit about kind of, um, self care and you keeping your sanity. So I know that you were just in sort of Africa and Cambodia the last couple of weeks, um, with three kids and trying to run an organization. How do you stay sane? What are the kind of the practices you have in your life to, um, uh, maintain at least some semblance of balance? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> probably, uh, probably my weakest thing. I, I, I think, um, I have a great wife, so mm -hmm. I think Aaron and I look at this like a team effort thing. Yeah. Uh, and she just went back to work full time. So it's pretty crazy. I'm not going to lie to you. I think yep. when we do say some semblance, I think that's right. Um, yep. some of the things I like to do are journal and mow the grass. Mm -hmm. So I try to do really basic things yep. to decompress. Yep. Um, that seem like mundane and like kind of a, like I'm a crazy person. So yep. I try to journal, I try to mow the grass and um, I try to take our dog for a walk yep. and like, that's it. And um, nothing too exciting in my life. I, I probably need to do a better job of self care. Although, yep. you know, I'm running, I've been running this race for a long time and, and still committed to do it. But yeah, I think it, I think I have a healthy home life, which probably helps the whole yep. thing work. Yeah, go to kids' soccer games like nothing. Yeah, extraordinary. No. Yeah, you know I. Uh, it's funny you said that. People ask me that same question, so I feel horrible asking it to other people because I feel the same way. It's like, hey, 
you know, balance assumes that you're dividing up 100% into some equal chunks. And what it actually feels more like is it's 100% like work and then 100% being a dad and then 100, like you're, you're, you're literally not dividing up 100%, you're giving 100% to multiple things, which just feels completely insane some days, but um, incredibly rewarding nonetheless. Yeah, it's a challenge in and of itself. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that we, we like to do that you probably do is I like to take one of my kids out once a month yeah. just to breakfast. To just yeah. to catch up and do. But, I mean, this stuff is not like earth shattering, but I think it's just yeah. the basic, you know, the basic thing. Yeah. Keep everything moving forward. That's great. Okay, a couple more super, super quick ones here. So a uh, book that you've read recently that's had a big impact on you. Emotionally Healthy Leadership by Peter Scazzaro. Peter Scazzaro, you said? Yeah. I don't know that one. I'll have to check it out. Sounds great. Emotionally Healthy Leadership, yeah. So I would recommend it. That's great. Uh, podcast, do you have a favorite? Um, yeah, I have a couple. Uh, so I listen to the New York Times podcast yeah. um, every morning. So get the news that way. And then... Uh, when I'm traveling, I usually listen to our local church, you know, re rebroadcast yep. their thing because I don't, I don't get to go to church right now. So yeah. I I re-listen to those podcasts just to make sure I'm connected on the way. Those are great. It's perfect. Um, you know, I think that's probably uh, good. I this has been so enlightening, kind of hearing your story. It's so fun to hear about how you're using business practices at LifeWater to turn the ship. So many of the principles that you're talking about are near and dear to my heart, just around tracking impact, um, creating high levels of transparency, um, putting donors closer to the front lines. Um, so uh, we really appreciate you being on. Uh, and it's been, I think it's going to be a game changer for the folks that listen. So Justin, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure and, uh, good luck at LifeWater. Thanks, Gabe. Appreciate your time. It's been fun. Yep. To the data management stuff. Uh, yeah. Which is why having great CRM is like a non-starter for me. I think you, it's it's sort of like the uh, the table stakes of nonprofit world. If you don't have a great CRM, I don't know how you're going to build a tribe of people that want to help you do it. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with you there. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling. You might. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the... One of the things that I've told a story before of a story my dad always tells is my dad and mom working in a um, orphanage in school in, in Tanzania and they're driving out in the middle of nowhere and like literally, you know, 15 miles from anything they driving along this road. There's a Maasai warrior standing there with a spear in one hand, no joke, and a Android phone in the other hand. And so um, it was just indicative of the world we live in is I think this is really the first time in history where we really have the, the ability to start measuring this impact in real time. Now it's the wild west, right? I mean, nobody's quite figured it out yet, but, but the infrastructure almost exists now where we can start actually really measuring impact in real time in meaningful ways. And so it's, it's an exciting time to live. Oh, I totally agree. And I think, you know, what, what's been brilliant in the majority world or the developing world or whatever you want to call it is uh, they just skip the landline thing. Like yep. we're just going straight to cellular, we're going straight to wireless. Yep. That's right. So we don't, we're not going to deal with uh, cords. Yeah. We're just going to have cell phone infrastructure 
and so uh, you know, I think low bandwidth things on cell phone infrastructure have come tremendously far. It's the higher bandwidth stuff that we're struggling with in rural areas, yeah, um, where you need data to movement movement up and down. But we use a platform called um, Akvo, A K V O, uh-huh. and it is uh, it's it's Android based. Sorry, cool. Apple people, but Android based, <laughs> and it allows us to work offline. So we can capture forms and data from the field offline. And then when we get to a place that has decent service on top of a hill somewhere, That's great. Know, we can upload it and it still captures that. So there's, there's some design thinking that really incorporates the unique needs of, of rural practitioners, um, even though they, they don't always have the bandwidth to, to send it right away. You know? Yeah, agreed. Okay, so hey, let's let's finish things out now in the last couple of minutes here. I'm going to get massively practical about a, a few different things. And so more of kind of a, a quick fire, but um, uh, I'm going to start with one thing that I, uh, that I know you're doing there internally, um, and then sort of go through a few different uh, personal things as well. So the, the first thing is uh, your 15-5 reports. Um, yeah. as a way to sort of manage staff. Tell me a little bit about how you guys are leveraging that internally because I think it'll be really practical for a lot of our listeners. Yeah, so I um, actually got this idea from War- Warby Parker. Yep. A retail company. So um, they uh, they do this 15-5 report, and uh, I guess it's a thing now, but basically it should take staff 15 minutes at the end of the Friday to identify what they've accomplished that week and what they're planning to accomplish next week and any help that they need to do those things. So um, bullet points, 15 minutes, and then it should take their supervisor no more than five minutes to read. Mm. So we do these throughout our organization, um, all the way down to the field guys. They prepare a 15-5 report. I read them every week and comment if necessary, but it basically sort of keeps us all accountable to each other on making sure we're prioritizing the right things for the future weeks mm. and that we got the things done that we were going to try to get done the week before. So um, we do, we just do them on word. And, um, for those that I have one-on-one meetings with, we, we follow up with them on Monday on the one-on-one meeting. Um, but I also really think it, it's helpful for staff to pause at the end of the week to make sure that they're focused on accomplishments and not activities yep. and to make sure that they're prioritizing the next week before they forget everything, uh, when they go out on the weekend. So, yeah. uh, we've instituted, we instituted this about three years ago and it's been really good for us. It's very cross-cultural. People are like, what are we doing? But, um, you know, for some of the things we do as a, as a nonprofit are very nonprofit-ish, right? So this is one of those things where we're like, what? Weekly accountability? I don't know. So um, we've gotten everybody to sort of get on board with it. And it's like, oh, 55, everybody, everybody does it. New, new habits, and it's good. It's a good practice. Oh, no. Yeah. Highly encourage other people to do it. No, I love that. We, uh, we do um, agile software development here, so we use um, sprints. Uh, which are the same mm-hmm. thing. We we create accountability by having everybody have very discrete deliverables, um, and then sort of reporting on those deliverables on a very regular basis. And so it creates the same sort of cadence that you're talking about. Uh, but we actually do that across all of our teams. So customer success, sales, and marketing. All of our teams are using um, sort of agile based practices, and it's just it's so helpful and clarifying. There's no like everybody knows what they're working on, what order they're working on and how they're progressing against those things, which is, it's great. I don't know. I don't know if there's a better way to manage, to be honest with you. Well, it makes um, sense because I think our world is sort of agile development world. Yeah. Like it's fast moving and we have to deliver products. Quickly. That's right. Um, uh, so talk to me a little bit about 
kind of um, self care and you keeping your sanity. So I know that you were just in sort of Africa and Cambodia the last couple of weeks um, with three kids and trying to run an organization. How do you stay sane? What are the kind of the practices you have in your life to um, uh, maintain at least some semblance of balance? Um, probably, uh, probably my weakest thing. I, I, I think, um, I have a great wife, so I think Aaron and I look at this like a team effort thing. Yeah. Uh, and she just went back to work full time. So it's pretty crazy. I'm not going to lie to you. I think when we do say some semblance, I think that's right. Um, some of the things I like to do are journal and mow the grass. So I try to do really basic things to decompress. Yep. Um, that seem like mundane and like kind of a, like I'm a crazy person. So yep. I try to journal, I try to mow the grass and um, I try to take our dog for a walk yep. and like, that's it. And um, nothing too exciting in my life. I, I probably need to do a better job of self-care. Although, yep. you know, I'm running, I've been running this race for a long time and, and still committed to do it. But yeah, I think it, I think I have a healthy home life, which probably helps the whole yep. thing work. Yeah, go to kids' soccer games like nothing. Yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, you know, I uh, it's funny you said that people ask me that same question, so I feel horrible asking it to other people because I feel the same way. It's like, hey, you know, balance assumes that you're dividing up a hundred percent into some equal chunks, and what it actually feels more like is it's a hundred percent like work and then a hundred percent being a dad, and then a hundred like you're 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 literally not dividing up a hundred percent, you're giving a hundred percent to multiple things, which just feels completely insane some days, but, um, incredibly rewarding nonetheless. Yeah. It's a challenge in and of itself. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that we, we like to do that you probably do is I like to take one of my kids out once a month yeah. just to breakfast. To just yeah. to catch up and do. But, I mean, this stuff is not like earth shattering, but I think it's just yeah. the basic, you know, the basic thing. Yeah. Keeps everything moving forward. That's great. Okay. A couple more super, super quick ones here. So a book that you've read recently that's had a big impact on you. Emotionally healthy leadership by Peter Scazzaro. Peter Scazzaro, you said? Yeah. I don't know that one. I'll have to check it out. Sounds great. Emotionally healthy leadership. Yeah. So I would recommend it. That's great. Uh, Podcast. Do you have a favorite? Um, yeah, I have a couple. Uh, so I listen to the New York Times podcast yeah. um, every morning. So get the news that way. And then uh, when I'm traveling, I usually listen to our local church, you know, re- rebroadcast yeah. their thing because I don't, I don't get to go to church. Right now. So yeah. I, I re-listen to those podcasts just to make sure I'm connected on the way. Those are great. It's perfect. Um, you know, I think that's probably... Uh, Good. I, this has been so enlightening kind of hearing your story. It's so fun to hear about how you're using business practices at LifeWater to turn the ship. So many of the principles that you're talking about are near and dear to my heart, just around trucking impact, um, creating high levels of transparency, um, putting donors closer to the front lines. Um, so, uh, we really appreciate you being on, uh, and it's been, I think it's going to be a game changer for the folks that listen. So Justin, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure and uh, good luck at LifeWater. 
Thanks, Gabe. Appreciate your time. It's been fun. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser. The podcast is brought to you by Virtuous, the CRM and marketing automation software helping charities raise more money and create more good. Be sure to rate and subscribe. For more resources, head to virtuouscrm.com.